0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. We're currently teaching through the Gospel of John. Covenant Grace Church is one church meeting in multiple locations. This message was recorded at our Menifee campus. All right, so we're going to
1: be starting in verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, a city of Andrew and Peter. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under a fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And this is the word of the Lord.
0: And thank you guys for coming. We're, uh, we're super thankful for every one of you. And um, we're, we're really happy you're here. We just, we're going to pray, Lord, uh, that, that you're blessed by your time here and that you meet with the living God. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we come before you um, with excitement, Lord, when we open your word. Uh, it's the excitement of knowing that you are a good, good father, as we sang earlier. And that you speak to your kids. Lord, you've given us all the evidence we could possibly need to know you exist and to trust you fully. And uh, Lord, you've sent your own son to die for our sins. And But we need something more than evidence this morning. We need to encounter you. We need to encounter you, the living God, to have an experience with you, to have our souls made alive by you, that we could experience the ultimate reality, which is to know our creator, Lord. We pray that you would do that this morning. Lord, please come here to encourage, to convict, to save, to refresh, to renew, to redeem. We know you can do this and so many more things. And we pray that you will in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So um, last week, Josh taught I listen to his message. If you want to listen to those, by the way, um, best place to do it right now is, um, is on SoundCloud. So if you go on SoundCloud on the app or on the website and just put in Covenant Grace Menifee, you can, um, you can listen to the messages from before. But Josh taught last week about how people come to know Jesus through proclamation, gospel proclamation, investigation, and invitation. And this morning, we're going to see one of those invitations here as we see Philip inviting uh, Nathaniel to come and meet Jesus. But we're also going to see what happens when Jesus doesn't quite meet our expectations, We come to Jesus with certain expectations of what he should be, and often those aren't met and what happens then. And uh, speaking of expectations, Josh had sent me this article, he emailed me this article this week. And the title of the article is, I Can't Stop Reading One-Star Yelp Reviews of National Parks. And so, as the, as the uh, title says, it's a whole article on this guy going through and reading all the one-star Yelp reviews on national parks, which seems almost blasphemous that you would do even a Yelp review of a national park, <laughs> and then to give it one star seems totally wrong. Um, I'm looking through these. They're great. Like, one of them's Joshua Tree, which is something really close to us. We love it. It's amazing. It's iconic. Um, you guys ever been to Joshua Tree? One star. The desert is too hot. So apparently they went in the summer, and their complaint is that, you know, there's no AC or whatever. Um, Carlsbad Caverns, anyone? I've never been there. It's amazing. Uh, One star. Only go here if you really like caves. So apparently this person wasn't into caves and was disappointed with Carlsbad Caverns, not knowing maybe that's another word for cave. Um, Petrified Forest, anyone? Anyone? Like it? Did you like it? One star, the trees are all dead, (laughs) which I think was clear in the name. Um, Yellowstone, and you think, no way. This is where, like Josh was saying, it's funny and aggravating to read this, because he was just like, this is not okay, you know, it's Yellowstone. Yellowstone, do you guys like it? One star, good luck finding a place to swim here. Which I don't know why the person needed a place to swim, but it's not a swimming location, so one star. The Badlands, one star. Bad. It was a title. And then my favorite is we're gonna go to Zion this, this November with Josh and Renee and their family. And for Zion, one star. Have you guys been? One star with the comment, skip the tacos. So if you were going expecting tacos, it's not the right place, okay? But what's going on here in, in all of these situations is the problem. I think it's safe to say the problem is not with the parks. The problem here was with the expectations. You go to Joshua Tree in the summer and complain about the heat. You wonder where the swimming hole is in Joshua in uh, in Yellowstone. Um, you deal with the, the badlands; they were bad. And this same kind of thing happens when people come to God. When people come to Jesus, they come with certain expectations, and some of those expectations go unmet. And so this morning, we're going to look at um, that, number one, Jesus isn't what we expected. And then number two, Jesus is better than we expected. Take a look at um, the, the beginning of our passage here in verse 34. It says, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Um, after meeting Jesus, Philip does the most natural thing in the world, which is that he finds somebody else to tell about Jesus, somebody else to tell about his hope. And for those of you kind of keeping track of these things, Nathaniel is very likely the same person in the other gospels as called Bartholomew. Because Bartholomew is mentioned in the other Gospels, but not Nathanael. In this one, there's no Bartholomew mentioned, but Nathanael is. Um, Bartholomew, Bar means son of, so he's son of Tholomew. So it's probably a description of who he is. Versus Nathanael, which is probably kind of his real name. So he's Nathanael, and he's Bartholomew, son of Tholomew. Same person, if you're keeping track. Um, But what he says to him, he says, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote. It's a way of saying we found the Messiah. We've found the one that the whole Old Testament points to. We've, we've found, you know, if you look through the Old Testament, it's all pointing forward to this character, the Messiah. And so what Philip is saying is we have found him. We have found the child of the woman who came to crush the head of the serpent, Genesis 3. We have found the seed of Abraham who will bless the whole world, Genesis 12. We found the son of David who's come to reign as king forever, 2 Samuel 7. We found the true good shepherd that you read about in Psalm 23. We found the suffering servant, the Lamb of God, who will take away our sins, Isaiah 53. He's like, we found him. We found the true temple. We found the eternal high priest. We found the ultimate sacrifice and so many more things. And he's excited and he goes, we found him. But when he comes, Nathaniel's expectations aren't quite met. When Jesus came on the scene... Not everybody's expectations were met. Some people captured, kind of grabbed hold of passages that talked about Jesus as a king that would come and conquer, and they liked that, but they missed the parts about Jesus coming and laying down his life for his enemies. And so when he came, there were certain people that had certain expectations and they weren't met, and they struggled to believe. And I just want to say to those of you here this morning, I want to say to you guys, realize that God is not going to meet all your expectations. You guys may have already realized this. God is not going to meet all of your expectations. There will be things that He does and says in this book that you don't like. It's not what you expected Him to do. It's not really what, you know, if you were to invent a God of your own, it wouldn't be what you'd have Him do. There's things that God's doing in this world that, frankly, are things that that don't meet our expectations. They're not what we thought God would do. But, guys, realize that that's not a good reason not to believe in Him. Okay? Okay? It's not a good reason to not believe in God just because he didn't meet your expectations. I often hear people say things like, and I've said it myself, I can never believe in a God that whatever, you know. I can never believe in a God that allowed suffering. I can never believe in a God that judges. I can never believe in a God that that has one way of salvation. Or people say, the God I believe in would never do this. Or the God I believe in would be like this, right? You hear these things all the time. But think about it. What makes us think that the true God would be exactly as we expected him to be? Isn't that funny? We have this sense that like God should be exactly what we expect. But why? Because no person's like that. No person in your life acts exactly as you would expect them to. It's actually a sign that they're real. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's a sign that they're real, that they surprise you and disappoint you. Guys, if the God you believe in makes all of your expectations and never disappoints you, one thing I can say for sure about that God is that he's imaginary. Isn't that true? If he meets all of my expectations and does everything I've ever wanted him to do, one thing I can know for sure is that he's imaginary. Put another way, if the God that I believe in or i am willing to accept matches my brain perfectly, guess where he came from? He came from my brain. Okay? He is an invention of my own mind. No, real relationships with real people always include surprises and offenses. Things that aren't the way we thought they should be. And it's actually a signature that you're dealing with the real God. Isn't that wild? And so, what, in what way does Jesus fall short of Nathanael's expectations? You see it there? Where he's, from. Where he's from, right? Look in verse 46. Philip's all excited. He says, we found the one. It's Jesus of Nazareth, uh, the son of Joseph. And, and Nathanael's response is, can anything good come out of Nazareth? His immediate response is like, that's not possible, Right? It's, it's like Nathaniel saying, Come on, man, this dude is straight out of Nazareth, right? And you could have your neighbor explain that one to you if you're not sure what that is. Um, Nazareth was a tiny little town of less than 2,000 people. It had very, yeah, I can see there's explanations going on. That's good. We're all working together on this. This is a project together. Um, a tiny little town, less than 2,000 people. And it's a place that you wouldn't have wanted to go. When we did our greeting question of what's one place you'd want to live, a place like Nazareth wouldn't be on the list. It's a place that didn't really have much going for it. And what's funny is that Nathaniel is also from a little town with nothing going for it, Cana. So it's funny that he would be like, Nazareth, nothing good can come from there. Where are you from? Cana. You know, It's also a town in Galilee that, that really doesn't have much going for it. And it really points out that our petty prejudices that we have... We have these petty prejudices about certain types of people and certain types of places, and we kind of look down on those places and stuff. And what is that? That's really a sign of our own insecurity. So here you have Nathaniel, insecure guy from Cana, and he, you know, they have had generations of looking down on people from Nazareth. And so um, he has this, this prejudice against Jesus because of where he's from. How does Philip deal with Nathaniel's objection? Do you see it? Look at verse 46. He says, come and see. I love that. He doesn't launch into a, oh, you were probably expecting the Messiah to come from Bethlehem. Actually was really born there, but he actually grew up in Nazareth. He doesn't do all that with him. I think that's good. I think we need to answer those objections. But let's not forget, guys, with people to answer objections, but also invite them to come and see Jesus. We need to invite them to come and see, because they don't always just need more evidence. They need an experience with God. And so that's what he says. He says, come and see. And that's an invitation to us too. As John was writing this, he intended that the readers of what he wrote, that they would receive that as an invitation. So if you're here today and you're not so sure and there's certain things God does that don't seem right and they don't seem like the way you'd expect God to be, the invitation for you here is to come and see Jesus. Come and see him in this text. Um, for those of us who, who know Christ and um, are inviting people Invite them Sunday morning. This is a great place for people to come and see. Invite them to small groups. Uh, Josh had announced, and that slide made the sofa look really uncomfortable. It was like, did you notice? It was like completely square. I'm sure they're more comfortable than that. But um, Thursdays at Don and David's, um, Fridays at Jen and Mike's house, we have small groups. That's a great way for people to come and see. Um, Because the only thing that's really going to break down Nathaniel's prejudices and ours is an encounter with Jesus And so he says, come and see, come and see, come and encounter Jesus in this book. So we saw firstly that Jesus isn't always what we expect. And now we're going to see as Nathanael meets Jesus that Jesus is always better than we expect. He doesn't meet our expectations, but he brings in uh, things about him that are so beyond anything we would have expected. And so look at how Nathanael and Jesus meet. I love this because, you know, Nathanael just got done saying like, you know, what good could come from a dump like Nazareth? And Jesus knows what he says. We'll see in this text. And so Nathanael's just got spouting off about that. Oh, that dump in Nazareth, nothing good could come from there. Well, come and see. Comes and meets Jesus. And what is Jesus' response to Nathanael? Look at it. He, Jesus saw Nathanael coming. And he said, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there's no deceit. Don't you love that? Jesus is always way more gracious than we would be with someone. Isn't he? I mean he knows that Nathaniel has these prejudices against him and, and where he's from, and he bypasses the insult, right? And he goes straight to say what? He says, I like this guy. You know? Jesus is like that. He goes, I like this guy. What does Jesus like about him? In whom there is no deceit. He's honest. Nathanael is a straight shooter. He's an honest person. He's a skeptic for sure. He's somebody that's not going to be easily sold on this. He's not somebody that's, you know, you guys tell him something and he just automatically believes it, he wants evidence. But what's neat about him is that he's honest and he's willing to assess the evidence. Guys, Jesus loves skeptics like this, doesn't he? He loves people like this. You know, somebody that would diss his town he grew up in and he goes, I like this guy, he's honest. You know, he's willing to look. He's willing to come here and investigate. And I want to ask you guys, do you like people like that? I think it's very important as Christians, and as we're trying to live out this mission together in Menifee, that we ask, do we like people like that? Do we like skeptics? Do we like people that don't know the Lord? Do we like people that aren't real easily for them to, uh, aren't easy to come to believe? Are we willing to spend the time to answer their objections? Are we willing to spend the time to have them come and see? Guys, that's what we're here for. Like, that's why we're here in this location. That's why, you know, instead of just meeting in one place in French Valley, we decide to multiply locations, is because we want to create a place, a stage, on which Nathaniels like this, can meet Jesus. And that's what this is about. And for all of you guys that have served here, you, whether you haul the trailer or set up or greet or do children's ministry or do worship or do children's ministry or invite people or you do children's ministry... <laughs> Or uh, you've opened your home to have small groups in it. I mean, that's what it's about. We're wanting to put out a stage, right, where people like Nathaniel can meet Jesus. Isn't that cool? Do we have something better to do? I I can't think of what, what we have that's better to do than that. And so he says, Jesus says, I like this guy. And Nathaniel says what back to him? He says, how do you know me? He's thinking like, lucky guess. Maybe Philip told you about me. What's going on here? And Jesus says, "Before uh, he says, before Philip called you while you were under the fig tree, I saw you. That's not creepy or anything, right? <laughs> it's like you know. And we don't know exactly what happened here. We don't know um, what Jesus knew about him being under the fig tree, which is really interesting because it's a it's something that's put in the text that we have no way to figure out. It's actually a mark of authenticity to have details in a story that don't seem to go anywhere. Um, it's in here because it happened." And so he says, while you were under the fig tree, I saw you. We we do know what happened here is we know that Jesus has supernatural knowledge about something that was happening with Nathanael. And he's blown away by Jesus' supernatural knowledge. And he says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. These are two titles that, taken together, are really just another way of saying, you're the Messiah. Remember that thing I said about your hometown? (laughs) You're the Messiah, you know? He's been won over by Jesus, by this experience with Jesus. His prejudice has been completely removed with an encounter with Jesus. And so Jesus isn't always what we expected, but he's better than we expected. Take a look at verse 50. Jesus' response says, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? You'll see greater things than these. And he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So he gives us kind of, for us, a very cryptic kind of explanation of who he is. But to somebody like uh, Nathaniel, who's an Israelite indeed, he would know exactly what he was talking about. Do you guys know where that's taken from? It's from Genesis 28. And it's this, um, this story of Jacob's ladder, people call it, or Jacob's stairway. And if you, turn, you want to turn there, you can. Genesis uh, 28, uh, starting in verse 10. This is something, so Jesus, uh, the, the events here with Jesus and Nathanael took place about 2,000 years ago, and 2,000 years before that, you have a man named Jacob, he was actually the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, and he got, just got done cheating his brother, so he had to run out of town so that he was not killed, and as he was running, he ended up in this field, and it was a wilderness area called Bethel, and he laid down there to sleep. It says that he took a rock as his pillow, which is so, it's such a bizarre detail to me. You know, like, I would just do without the pillow. But <laughs> he puts the rock under as his pillow, and he goes to sleep, and he has this dream. And he has a dream about a, it's either a ladder or a staircase, probably a staircase, some sort of staircase that went from the ground on earth up to heaven. He has this weird dream of this staircase that goes up to heaven and he sees the Lord on the top and he sees angels going up and down this thing and the Lord's on the top and the Lord says to him, he's going to bless him. He says, don't worry. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. And when he wakes up, he says in verse 16, surely the Lord is in this place and I didn't know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate to heaven. And so Jesus is making reference to this story that Jacob had been traveling through the wilderness and stumbled upon an opening to heaven, and it had an encounter with the Lord. Isn't that wild? And so um, Jacob called that place Bethel, meaning the house of God. Guys, heaven isn't actually far away. I think a lot of times we think of heaven as being, you know, super far away from where we're at or whatever. Heaven isn't actually far away. It's actually very close to any one of us. We just don't normally see it. It's not normally open to us. And a good passage to look at with that would be um, Stephen when he was killed in in Acts 6. And as he's being killed, it says the heavens were opened and he saw Jesus. Okay, So it gives this idea that heaven's very close, but that we're separated on a different dimension or whatever. I won't get all crazy with you. But it could open up and we could see in. And the reason why I say it's not that far is because just think about Stephen being killed and heaven being open and him seeing Jesus. How close does a person need to be? Free to tell that it's a particular person, pretty close, right? And so heaven isn't far, um, but it's, some, it's a place that we don't normally see. And what happened with Jacob is that heaven got opened. And um, so that was at Bethel. That was a, a place where Jacob was. He has this vision. But it wasn't the first time in Genesis, really, that a staircase or a stairway to the heavens was mentioned. Can you guys think of another time? Babel, right? So even before that, there was this place called Babel. And even if you didn't grow up in the church, you probably know about this. But there was a time when the, the people were out on a field, a whole bunch of uh, people, and they decided that we want to make a name for ourselves, right? And they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower that the top of it would go to heaven. And let us make for ourselves, uh, let us make this for ourselves lest we be dispersed around the earth. And so even before this encounter with Jacob and Bethel, even before that there was this time where people were trying to construct something. There's always this sense in human beings that we need to get to God. We need to reach him somehow. We need to get right with him. And there's this impulse and this tower of Babel that they built. It was um, a city with a tower and it would have had stairs going up. And it was supposed to go to the heavens. Well, What happened? God confuses their languages. The building project fails. Everybody gets scattered. Guys, Bethel is God's response to Babel. Babel was human beings attempting to reach heaven Bethel is God saying, I'll come down to you. And that's the way it has to work. Um, because distance, guys, isn't what separates us from heaven. The problem with Babel is they thought, well, it's a distance problem. We'll build something. You know? <laughs> distance isn't what keeps us from heaven. Distance is not what keeps us from God. It's our sin that keeps us from God. Right? We have all failed to live according to God's commands. Would you agree with that? You just read the Ten Commandments and you can see that we've all failed to live God's commands. Truthfully, we've all failed to live up even to our own standards, right? None of us here even live up to our own standards, which are far lower than God's standards. And so sin separates us from God. And if that separation is allowed to continue and doesn't get bridged, it will continue in eternity in a place called hell. So hell is separation from God, and that's our ultimate destination. If somehow that, that distance between us and God doesn't get bridged, And people have tried various ways to bridge that gap, right? But they really only fall into two main ways. There's the Babel way, and there's the Bethel way. The Babel way is that somehow I'm going to try and bridge that gap by building my own tower to God, you know, through my own accomplishments. So maybe it's career, or family, or my generosity, or my religious deeds. And I keep on trying to build up a case for my own goodness, Talk to a lot of people about the gospel, and they say, well, I'm basically a good person. What is that? They're constructing a tower, right? We're all trying to construct this way to God. That's one way to do it. And what happens is, as we start to build this thing, a lot of times we start to feel like we're better than other people. We start to compare ourselves to them on their towers, right? The other way is the way of Bethel. The way of Bethel is, is that God bridges the gap himself, that he comes down, that he makes a stairway for us, that he bridges the gap. And the way that looks is that we realize that even on our best days, guys, our intentions are mixed with sin, aren't they? Even when we do a totally good deed, there's a lot of times that moment of reflection where we go, that was really good of me, right? I mean, we always do that, right? There's always some sin in it. There's always some imperfection in it. The the tower of our own goodness is incredibly shaky, you know, you know, we're kind of swaying in the breeze and we're trying to like kind of build onto it to feel like we're good, to try and convince ourselves that we're okay to ourselves or to others or to God. And so what Bethel looks like, it looks like us realizing that on our best day, our, our motives are f- filled with sin and that we would put our trust in God who's come down. He's made a way for us. We don't build a way for ourselves. He's built us a way. Well, how do he do that? He did it through Jesus, Right? God became a man, the historical man, Jesus. He lives a flawless life. Jesus is actually the only man that actually deserves heaven, right? And then he takes that record of deserving heaven and he gives it to you. He goes, now you deserve heaven. And you're like, no, I don't. Yes, you do, because I just gave you my record, right? And he dies for our sins and he made himself the stairway. Jesus Christ is the true stairway to heaven. As the problem with religion And we all get sucked into religion, don't we? The problem with religion is that it's always trying to get you to build your own tower to God. Isn't it? It's always trying to get you back to the building project. It's always trying to to get you to construct something. And and a lot of times, religion makes you feel superior to other people because you feel like, oh, I am really doing well. You know what we're like, guys? We're like ants stacking grains of sand trying to reach the sun. Right? It's pathetic. It's pathetic. You know, in the account of Babel, it says that God had to come down and look at what they were making. <laughs> it's such a funny account because he couldn't see it, you know, metaphorically. He's like, I better go down there. It's a tiny little thing these ants are doing, right? The good news this morning, guys, is that you can quit your building project, okay? The good news this morning is that you can quit your building project and trust in Jesus, the true stairway to heaven. Turn back to John 1, So that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, you know, Bethel, that's me. He goes, you know that true stairway to heaven? That's me. And guys, this isn't just good news for us personally. It isn't just good news for us personally. This is good news for the world we live in. Guys, our world needs good news. Our world needs rescue. Our world needs a fix, doesn't it? I mean, if you just look around a little bit, you can see that. I mean, you just look this week, right? Our world is broken. I mean, on Friday, we had two college shootings in one day, right? It's like the news kind of gets bored of these things, right? Um, You just, the other day, I think it was yesterday, or maybe it was Friday, you know, somebody was shot here in Menifee, you know, at a McDonald's in Sun City. Um, You look around the world globally, you look at things like ISIS, you look at things like climate change, you look at global poverty, you look at famine, abuse, the rampant abuse that occurs in the world, diseases, cancer, racism, sexism, even our own bodily pain and weakness, our family strife, we would have to be in a very temporary American bubble to think the world is the way it should be. It's not the way it should be. And we all know that. We know that this is not the way it should be. And so we pray. What do we pray? We pray the Lord's Prayer. It says, your kingdom come, right? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's why we pray that. We're praying, we need heaven here we need your kingdom to come and your will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven because in heaven there is no violence and there is no famine and there is no cancer and there is no pain and family strife and all these things, right? What we need, what this world needs, we think about like, what does this world need? I think we've all kind of like given up on that it's, there's going to be some political solution to this or maybe there's an education solution to this um, because we're like more educated than we've ever been and we've done lots of political things and none of that works. What do we need? We need heaven to invade this broken world, don't we? That's what we need. And Jesus has come to bring heaven down to earth. Where do I see that? Look at verse 51. It's so cool. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Notice that the angels are ascending and descending. This is like a two-way portal to heaven, right? Um, I can't help but think that it's like an escalator. I don't know why. It's super lame. But, um, You got got the angels going up, you got the angels coming down. It's like this two-way portal to heaven. Because, guys, Jesus didn't come just to beam us up to heaven. Jesus came to bring heaven down to earth. You guys realize that? That's the full good news. Full good news is not that somehow you're going to get beamed out of here when it gets real bad. Okay? It's not just about you going to heaven. It's about heaven coming down here. Because that's what this place needs. It needs to be made new. And that's exactly what we see at the end of the Bible. If you have your Bible there, take a look at Revelation 21, verses 3 through 5. Awesome passage. This is like what happens. You might read the book of Revelation and be like, this is too scary. I don't want to read this. Read the end. You know, the end is good. Um, It says, and I heard a loud voice. This is John. He, He sees heaven descending down to earth. And he says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God, which is heaven, is with man. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and he himself will be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said, Write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. Guys, our future is not just to go to a spiritual place called heaven. Our ultimate future is that we are going to live forever in this world made new. Isn't that cool? Doesn't something in you yearn for that? That there would be no pain, no suffering, no death. We're going to be um, in a world made new. We'll be building things and creating and living and loving and exploring and enjoying and enjoying these times with each other and all of God's people and Jesus, and it doesn't end. You ever been on a great trip or something like that, and you think, Ah, why does this ever have to end? it doesn't. Isn't that cool? It's not a boring place. I think a lot of us have this weird, vague fear that heaven's boring, that it's some sort of stadium where we sing the same worship songs 50 billion times and then start over, okay? That's not our future. Our future, if you read the end of Revelation, is a redeemed world made new where you do all the things you were created to do. Where you created to do art, you'll do that. Where you created to build things, you'll do that. Where you created to write things, you'll do that. And we'll do it all for the glory of God and for the enjoyment of his people. And he bought us that future. Colossians says that it was by his blood that he reconciled heaven to earth, right? On the cross, Jesus removed the barrier between heaven and earth so it can become one. Why do I bring all this up? I bring this up because he's saying to Nathaniel here, he's saying, you're gonna see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He's talking about, you're gonna see some amazing miracles. You're gonna see me do some things. And one of the things I want you guys to understand is that the miracles that we'll read in this book that Jesus does these miracles are really heaven leaking into this world. Okay? Jesus is that true stairway to heaven. He's that true portal. He's that true connection between heaven and earth. And what the miracles are is little trickles, little leaks of heaven into earth. Um, Nathaniel is amazed by Jesus' supernatural power, but Jesus is saying, you're going to see greater things than these. He's like, Nathaniel, Nathaniel. I can't wait to show you these things. I got so many great things to show you. In a little bit, in a little while, I'm going to show you water turned into wine. You ever seen that? I'm going to do that. He's all. You ever seen a paralyzed guy walk? I'm going to do that. I'm going to feed five thousand people with five loaves and two fishes. Um, I got this walking on the water thing that I do that I totally can't wait for you to see. Right? He's saying, um, Do you know what it's like to see a blind man see for the first time in his life? You will. And then he says to him, I'm going to make dead people live. You Want to see that? He says, you're going to see greater things than these. Guys, a lot of times we think that miracles are somehow suspensions of natural laws. That miracles are really like little breaks in the ways things should be. So they should be like this, but then there's a miracle. That's really not the way it should be. And then it goes back to the way it should be, right? That's not what it is. Miracles are the way things should be. Miracles are the way things are in heaven. Miracles are the way things are going to be here. People should be able to see. People should be able to not only walk but run. People should be able to be well fed. They should be able to live and not die. And that's what will happen in the world that God makes new. And so all these miracles are really just these little trickles of heaven coming in, these little foretastes of when the kingdom's fully here, and we get to see those. I was thinking about it, it's kind of like It's kind of like a big dam. Let's say you're in charge of the dam. And you see little trickles of water coming from the bottom, a little crack. Is that a problem? That's a problem, okay? Okay, these miracles are like this little trickle of water that are, that are coming through this division between heaven and earth, coming through a little crack, and Jesus is that opening, right? And the promise is, is that someday that dam's going to come down and heaven is going to flood the earth and the two are going to become one. This is the good news that he brings, guys. He says to Nathaniel, you will see greater things than these. And he's saying that to you guys today. I mean, many of you have seen amazing things in your lifetime. You've seen God do amazing things. You maybe a birth of a child, or He's done some sort of healing or miracle for you, or maybe the great thing that He did for you was opening your eyes for the first time to see the glory of Jesus. But Jesus is saying to you this morning too: You're going to see greater things than these. Even the best thing that He's ever done for you on this earth is an appetizer of the amazing future He has for you in the world to come. And so Jesus isn't always what we expect. He's better. Um, This morning, guys, we're going to take communion uh, during the last two songs. And communion really is an appetizer of the world to come. If you read in Luke 22, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he instituted this thing we call the Lord's Supper or communion. And this is what he said. For I tell you, I will not eat of it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you the truth, from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine again until it is in the kingdom of God. And he took the bread, and when he gave thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remember of to me. So what we'll do is, it's in the back. There's a little bit of bread there. Um, the bread's gluten-free, so you don't have to worry about that. There's uh, bread back there. There's little cups with the juice. And when you're ready during the last two songs, you just come forward and take it and remember his body was broken and his blood was shed for your forgiveness and so that he could repair this whole world. And so take it in that hope. And I want to say to you guys, it's open to any of you who are placing your trust in Jesus. And this might be your first act of faith. You're going to remember that. For some people, going up there and taking the bread and taking the juice might be the first act of faith they ever do. And you can do that. Even if you came in here not knowing the Lord, but now you're trusting in Jesus, now you're trusting in that goodness, you can take it. Let's pray. Lord, um, like the the passage indicates, you're not always what we expect. um, But Lord, you're always better. And uh, we just pray, Lord, that um, you would bless our time and communion here. Um, We thank you that you're a God that cares so much about this world and its pain, that you're willing to enter the pain in this world and to suffer on the cross to end all suffering. And Lord, we pray that you would help every one of us here to joyfully receive with full faith and assurance communion and that we would um, trust in your Son fully. And we love you, Lord, and we just pray that you give us faith. Help this to be a joyful reminder of your love, both today and all week. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church, Menifee. If you would like to know more about the Menifee campus, visit us online at covegrace.org slash Menifee.